30. That's right. We are in our dirty 30s, officially, (laughs) of the cast of Caught, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I guess all things related is now just the Dark Tower books. (laughs) It used to be a little more expansive. (laughs) All the Dark Tower stuff keeps getting canceled, and they keep not uh, creating more, so... Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, the the movie, it, it, am I wrong? The movie kind of like cast a dark shadow yeah. over the Dark Tower series. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. It's a little hard to bounce back from that. And I don't it know. Wasn't... Who knows? You never know what's going to happen. Like, I've been watching a lot of Lock and Key this week. And I remember that's a show that was like troubled and canceled a bunch. Really? Like, there was, there a, was a other Lock and Keys? Yeah, there was a pilot that you can find the pilot on YouTube of the the most recent attempt at it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, but it didn't get picked up. So is it weird that that was originally like a um, audio drama on Amazon before Netflix produced it? Wait, Locking Key? Yeah. So I thought it was. It's a comic book series. Was it a an audio drama after it was a comic book series or before? I don't know. Now you you got me confused. I know there's an audio drama of Locking Key that is cool. Um, that is on Audible. And it's an Audible original that's owned by Amazon. Oh. And then the adaptation of the um, television series follows fairly well with the audio drama. So then... I bet it was a comic book that got turned into an audio drama for Audible. Oh. And then... I'm, it's my guess. I don't know this for sure. But, like, just the... Audible loves to, like, make exclusive things, so I wonder if that's what happened. That, that would make sense. Like, I, I didn't know there was a, the comic book portion of it, so, like, that wasn't even something oh, that yeah. was on my radar. Yep, yep. It was like a, yeah, it was a limited series, I think. I remember hearing about it forever and being like, I really, like, I read a bunch of Joe Hill, and I was like, I've really got to get around to Lock and Key, and then never did. So, but, but my point is, is, like, that show came back, back, back again. You never know with the Dark Tower. We may someday get another one. Mm. Uh, but anyway, I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my content, the knower of all things <laughs> Lock and Key audio drama related, the one and only DJ. I mean, I, I feel like I've got my shine on. I'm connected with those kids and I'm ready to <laughs> Maybe... get the brain key out and start digging around. I think this might be a situation where you're like the multiverse bubbles are touching and you're like hearing through some sort of like thin spot like a little thinny and like on an alternate reality it was an audio drama and then in this one you know yeah that would make sense i'll, I'll buy it. i that. think it's <laughs> all right so plan for this episode um we don't have a ton going on this week that doesn't mean it's not going to be super fun and exciting just we're going to be focusing primarily just on a review this week of um the wastelands book two lud a heap of broken images chapter four Town and Cotet, 11 through 25. <laughs> <laughs> These titles, so, they just, they roll off your tongue. They do not. <laughs> they absolutely do not. Um, so DJ, before we get into all that goodness, will you please remind our listeners of our spoiler policy? As usual, guys, we, and gals, sorry, uh, as we roll forward, we will make sure to throw a red flag on the field of play whenever we cross the line into territory that's not covered in this 11 through 25 chapter. We do not want to spoil the future of Stephen King's innocuous universe for you. So we will let you know so that you can plug your ears and live peacefully while being unaware of the future. Mm -hmm. 
Did I use a Nakio oh. shirt? I don't even know. That just sounds like a fancy No, word. but I mean, it's part of your charm. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to go with it. I like it. <laughs> Remix. Oh, well. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Yes. It's very important that people know that we will not be spoiling anything in the books up until this, or after this point. Anything before is fair game, but... But if this is your first time through the series, it will not be spoiled by us. Before we dive, well, before we dive into this one, Rachel, I, I just wanted to like point out that this isn't only like a cover of the chapter, but it's a recap inside of a recap <laughs> of the chapter. <laughs> because like you get a little ways in and it recaps some stuff, and then like a, suddenly it's like, okay, let's just recap the last few books that you know and everything that's happened since like uh, you were met by Roland, basically. Yeah. And, and and I thought that was it was good, but it, it's like, man, really, Stephen King. You're just writing some filler pages here, buddy? What's going on? I feel like this is a problem that is specific to us. And I was going to talk about this when we got into it, but we might as well talk about it now. Like, our going through this so granularly means that everything that is, like, a reveal in this section is not a reveal in this section for us. Because <laughs> it's stuff that we've been, like, interpreting because we've been, like, fine-tooth combing the chapters. Mm. I mean, I think if this is your first read-through, this is, like, a super helpful section. Um, and there are a few moments in this that I think are actually new and important, especially in terms of character arc. But, but yeah, like, I was kind of like, okay, like... It all felt very obvious to me, but I realize that's because I wasn't speeding through the chapters. It's because I've been obsessing over every little detail and, like, <clears throat> all this conjecture, right? So, yeah. But at the same time, it's always nice to be told you were right, <laughs> 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 which I got a lot of that out of this chapter. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. All right. So before we dig in, really quickly, uh, we did get a new iTunes review. What? And for, yes, for those of you who are just dipping into the podcast for the first time, we love iTunes reviews. Makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. And so we want to highlight those people that take the time to actually write those reviews by reading the review on the show. And yes, we will read the bad ones as well. I don't want the bad ones, but to be fair, I promise we'll read the bad ones. But this is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so really quickly, this review comes from our friend Just Be Fly, which is another amazing name. Part of my favorite, like one of my favorite things about reading these reviews is like reading everybody's like iTunes name. <laughs> like mine is so basic it didn't even occur to me to come up with something cool so i'm always very excited there was like a really good nachos one at one point so this one wait did you don't have like the classic like i made this screen name when i was 14 and oh i have me? that <laughs> just not on on oh okay what's okay. your worst um like what was your like aol or your worst email um well so <laughs> from like an early age i have adopted two handles and i still use them to this day one is okay. hot carl and <laughs> oh my god that is pretty uh yeah that's yeah that was the use. that was like the uh yahoo personals <laughs> <laughs> so Amazing. i always thought that was pretty good and then um of course the one you probably already know is one lone dork and I, i've had that yeah. since i was like 12 years old so Oh, that's so cute. I, I feel like like baby DJ. Like, I really spoke to who he was. <laughs> Mine are not that cool. Mine was Ray of Sunshine. Well, I mean, that's a good, like... Rachel, Ray of yeah, Sunshine. Yeah, yeah, and you could probably sell that now on, or on like, uh, Twitter and make some money. 
Yeah, somebody's gonna come steal it from me. Um, and then the other one was um, sugar booger because I didn't understand <laughs> that that was actually code for cocaine. I just thought it was funny. So for years and years and years, <laughs> like in professional settings, I would use my sugar booger email. <laughs> yeah, some serious fear and loathing in Las Vegas going on here, right? Like I just it rhymed, it rolled off the tongue. Well, I was and, like, yeah, sugar booger, you know? Yeah, and you're like a uh, you're a writer and Hunter S. Thompson, so like that, right? That actually like kind of works pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So this this review comes from our buddy Just B Fly. Uh, he says. I'm reading the Dark Tower series for the fifth or sixth time. Nice. Currently on Wizard and Glass, my favorite. Sorry, Rachel. Who knows? You know what? I might change my mind on Wizard and Glass. I'm actually pretty excited to dig into it this time because I feel like I'm not as in such a salty place as I was last time. <laughs> this podcast has been a valuable tool in slowing down and mentally diving deeper into the books. DJ and Rachel work well together to give perspective where the air, where it may originally have been easier to pass over. Keep it coming, guys. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Just Be Fly. <laughs> Five stars. Ah, oh, what a doll. I, I, and I just want to say again, it really means a lot to us when you take the time to to fill these out. So thank you so much. Keep them coming. Um, and thank you for listening. Yeah, we really enjoy you guys. Um, Rachel and I obviously aren't aren't uh, millionaire podcasters by any means. So no. this is a work no. of Joe passion Rogan and is love. Safe. Otherwise, we would not be here. So we're glad that you guys have the same passion for. The stuff that we're into. Yeah, for sure. That's so true. <laughs> let's talk Let's talk um, chapter 11 here of the many chapters to finish this yeah, out. Yeah, let's so, do it. Uh, we left off with uh, the, the group hanging out with these old folks. Uh, they basically found like a, a senior living home in this town that looked abandoned with like a nice garden out back. And they just had a really good meal. And now they're finishing up their plathering. And... Yeah. Basically, um, the lady they sent off to the kitchen to get coffee rolls back out, and that's the blind lady, and she's like, oh, I know about this other thing that no one else knows about, and they're, they're talking about the mono. So uh, uh, Blaine is paying the mono, is the train, basically. And, the, and they're like, no, the train hasn't run for, you know, since the two of them were married, this is like 20 or 40 or 50 70, years ago, something like 70 that. 70 years. 70 yeah, yeah, so 70 years ago, and this lady, like, kind of chimes in and is like, no, nah, that's not true. I heard it, like, eight years ago, and then she references something, and they're like, well, that was about 10 years ago, but okay. And apparently, um, the train can go at a high enough speed to reach the speed of sound barrier mm-hmm. and releases the sonic boom. Well, the train that's close to them, they can hear the sonic boom whenever the train took off. Well, the other train takes off the opposite direction, or it could be the same train, who knows. Um, but she, with her super sensitive hearing, apparently has been listening, had been listening to that train go for quite some time. And of course, like Tweedledum and Tweedledee call her a liar and say she's making stuff up. They and... use my new favorite swear word. Well, yeah, I, I bull forgot. Dink. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's bull dink. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so like, they're kind of comical, um, yeah. when they're talking and, and she's like, Roland like throws a piece of bread to Susanna and like she's able to hear it and he's like okay tell me what you got and she explains this whole thing about the the other train and this means that like the wastelands you you basically couldn't cross it normally because it's a 
toxic wasteland of you know whatever mm-hmm. nuclear exposure or whatever that's we... what i thought i was like oh we got our first mention of the wasteland yep. and drink and like she even <laughs> explains like she's like well listen you know the train isn't alive so it's not gonna vomit up blood and die walking across the wasteland and they kind of hush up about that and then Roland has this sort of like touching moment with um uh whatever the, what's the lady's name now Mar- Mercy. Mercy where like Mercy like blesses him and then uh, out of the blue like surprising Roland she takes off her medallion cross and like hands it to him and he puts it around his neck and it, it like falls perfectly into place and like sets the scene for the torch being handed off from the old to the younger and she even tells him Roland go ahead and and take this to the dark tower and say that mercy sent you you know in this like weird sort of way and then they wander off and you've got do you have asterisks here or have i sailed i do okay then i'm gonna toss it to you because otherwise i'm gonna sail through a bunch of other stuff without letting you comment yeah there's a couple of things that happen here that i think are worth kind of just pausing for a second to discuss and like and it's that again we get another peek at sort of the, the the traditions that surround being a gunslinger when roland asks for that blessing from aunt talitha um and it like it, it's similar and kind of in keeping with what we've seen so far with his interactions in this town but i just can't couldn't help but think about the last time uh, and how different his interactions were when he was in a town of people. And I think because I think the last time we saw him interacting with like a town was all the way back in the gunslinger with Toll. And like even before the shootout, even even before like things went crazy in that town, because I mean, obviously the shootout is like a big iconic moment in that book. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, even just his interactions with the people when he comes into town. And, like, some of it I know is situational because, like, the town is sort of under the influence of Sylvia. <clears throat> and there's some, like, you know, hinky stuff going on. But, like, at no point did any, any of his interactions in the saloon or even with Allie, do you get a hint of this sort of aspect of his character? Like, this softness, this um, honor. Like, none of that comes across. And... Like, he's all sort of Western iconography, right? Like, he's all Clint Eastwood. Well, not just that, but almost like um, a a priest type of thing. Because these guys, even though, like, they've maybe never never actually seen a gunslinger in person or only once or twice, it's a legend that sort of sits almost in the, like, worship category. Am I wrong? Absolutely. And the thing is, is you would never, ever have gotten that from his previous interactions in Toll. Like, would that have ever crossed your mind that he was, like, someone who was, like, akin to a man of the cloth or, like, a wandering knight? None of that would have come across. Like, he was very much just sort of, like, a wandering gunslinger, right? Yeah, yeah. And I I don't know how much of that is just, like, the evolution of the character in Stephen King's mind and how much of it is just, like, rolling the character. Like, when he was in Toll, there was, like, almost like there was that part of him had died like he had put he had compartmentalized it away it had withered away in the time that he had spent just like chasing the man in black across the desert and that some you know it's slowly being revived by being in the presence of his quartet like the last time that roland was this type of gunslinger was when he was with his original quartet and until now like it's blossoming in him again so maybe i'm I, wrong but i i always thought of it more as like uh <laughs> might as well get my David Carradine reference out of the way. Like Kung, Kung Fu, the legendary <laughs> journey where like 
he has gone through the training and like now he can snatch the pebble and that training is always with him and like applies to everything he does but it's only when he meets like other people of that same cultural niche that they recognize the importance of the person that they're actually talking to because like you know yeah. in like the the kung fu uh the legendary journey like most of the time they're just like whatever guy person don't care mm -hmm. but then every once in a while like he runs into a group of people that recognize him as like a shaolin monk and they're like whoa you're can you yeah. bless this thing for me or like you know hold this pose for like 10 minutes while we dance around you yeah i mean i think that could and, very well be the case that it's fully um situational but i just think that like there's no hint of that person even in like in hmm. even in roland's because if you think gunslinger like that book was almost entirely told from his point of view like that's changed in the subsequent books but we didn't even True. get hints of it like in his internal thought process yeah um i don't know so uh, this is a question i'm just gonna pose to you and then you can tell me if i'm crazy or not but yeah, uh, again referencing uh david carradine's <laughs> most famous role uh, um uh, uh, dispute me if you want uh it, Whenever he has an event, there's always a flashback to go with it. And if I'm incorrect, like, mm -hmm. Roland, I I am I wrong in saying that Roland, like, has those same sort of, like, flashbacks where it's like, bam, and this is the lesson I learned in this thing, and then, bam, this is the, like, throwback to this thing. And that's been peppered throughout the books, right? Or wrong? I mean, to a certain degree, yeah. Like, definitely there, especially now. And I, I think what lends credence to my theory is that, like, I think being around another quartet is bringing up a lot of stuff like he's remembering a lot of things like a, he looks at eddie and like keeps seeing kuzbert oh yeah that's um, true you, you know um, we're jumping ahead but you're absolutely right there's like a whole section where like it's keithbert 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 Keith yeah i feel like there's a reawakening that's happening in roland in these sections that, and like it's it's something that everyone around him is noticing as well. And it just, like I said, it just brought me back to the last time we saw him interacting with a town of people and how totally different that experience was. And again, situational, yes. But I also feel like there was a piece of Roland that was missing that is like being healed and being reawoken by being amongst another quartet. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. I think, <clears throat> I think you're probably right. I, I don't know. Like, I still... The spiritual aspect of Roland, I'm less good at picking up on than you are, so uh, sometimes I have to actually defer to you. I mean, I only say that because, like, like every chance we get another, like, person's perspective, they're like, wow, Roland is really changing. Wow, Roland is not, there's more to him than I thought. That's wow. true. They do, so, Stephen King does beat you over the head with, like, character reactions where it's like, I've never seen yeah. him like this before. I didn't realize it. And there's even that, like, and this is a little bit ahead, but, like, Susanna like starts comparing him to yeah. JFK and like yeah. it, it basically it slyly asks how many languages do you know and Roland kind of rolls around for a second and says oh well I used to know six but I've kind of lost one except for the curse words now I know five and and then he proceeds to like basically tell a, a dirty joke in some some language that he's almost forgotten and doesn't elaborate but it's like well wait a minute this guy not only is a man of the weapon but he's also uh, a renaissance man who has had to learn yeah. multiple languages and been skilled in di diplomacy and so on yep definitely
Hmm. Yep, I think this section, there's a lot of that. And uh, it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where that all ends up. The other thing in this section that I, I wanted to note is actually there's a moment between Jake and Eddie that's pretty telling. When they're leaving the town, Jake makes it like most of the way out of town and looks back and then gets really distraught and is crying and feeling really guilty about leaving these people behind. And like Eddie like sits down and explains to him basically, you know, if we if we don't leave now, it's never going to get easier. Like, there's always going to be a reason to stay, and it's it's kind of a sweet moment. But it like makes it made me realize that the dynamic of the group is really beginning to form, right? Like we there's pre existing relationships with Jake and and Roland, and you know like, but like now they're starting to gel as a group. Well, and-, and Eddie is sort of taking on this role of becoming like Jake's big brother, mm-hmm. and it it which is kind of this amazing full circle moment for for Jake or for Eddie because it was his identity has been so wrapped up with being a little brother a little brother and instead of being emulating you know the example that he had in Henry he is extremely kind and and like patient with Jake and um and then you see Roland adds into this conversation and what happens is you start to see that like the family dynamic is really coming together with like Roland as sort of this patriarchal father figure with these two sons with his two like gunslinger sons of Eddie and Jake but that they independently are developing their own like brotherly bond let's talk about um, that conversation I, I for a second though so between uh, Eddie and Jake they're they're basically discussing why they left because I, I believe right before mm-hmm. they leave the town uh, mercy invites him to like stay the night one more night and yeah and yeah. basically uh, eddie like launches into this thing where he's like well you know f- first we ate some of their meat and so maybe we need to go hunting to help replace that and then we noticed that they're having some problems with their well so then we do some work on that and pretty soon well we fixed that but it wouldn't it be nice if they had a water wheel out back that would take care of some things and so on and, and Jake's like, well, yeah, well, why, why don't we do all those nice things for him? You know, they're old people. And, and he's like, well, listen, kid, as I see it, this is the e- – or it's never going to get any easier to leave him, but it will definitely get harder to leave him as we become more and more entangled with him. Yeah. So this is the least hard time to leave these folks because we're least familiarized with them. And then, of course, the joke about, you know, taking a healthy poop is the enlightening portion of his day. I, I, I harken back to that. And then Roland jumps in and like, is like, yeah, you know, basically, uh, um, basically what uh, Eddie's saying is right. And that's sort of like, uh, that is the big brother thing that you were talking about. Like the, the pat on the back from Roland is a put, yeah. Roland doesn't even really add anything. He just like listens and Eddie says, yeah, this is how I see it. And Roland's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know? great yeah i mean roland's only real contribution is and i think it's an important one just in terms of like foreshadowing potentially is he talks to jake and eddie about focusing on small rights can blind you to the big rights. yeah and Um, there's a there was like a saying that roland dropped out there but do you remember what it was it's like um it's escaping mm. me because uh roland says something like complicated and then Eddie says like a simple one, like, and I, th- I think it had something yeah. to do with like, um, uh, keep your, uh, don't assume you're dreaming until your eyes are open. Yeah, that's about when when they're looking at the bridge. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just think like this Roland's attitude of like 
looking at the big picture instead of the small picture, like, it makes sense, right? Like, obviously, it's, like, the whole Spock-ism of it all. But, <laughs> but well, like, I, it's I, also... You know I what I mean? Like, it's uh, the good of the mini Yeah, yeah, well, he, yeah, yeah. he actually says, like, while we're focusing on these eight people, you know, 30,000 people could be dying, you know, uh, in the distance, and it all leads right. back to the, the tower, so, yeah. And, and he's not wrong. The issue is that this kind of rationalization could be a very slippery slope. <laughs> like, you can justify just about anything with this kind of rationalization, including, like, Dropping a child to its death. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a dangerous way of thinking. That's all. So then they stop for a bit and uh, uh, put up camp after they've walked out of town. They've had that discussion about the the whole uh, um, uh, leaving those guys behind. And then there's sort of a thing where, like, they start talking about the Cotet and, um, and the Billy Bumbler and how, like, he's kind of... Maybe he got rejected from his tribe because Oi was too smart Confirmed and animals experienced I was like, yes, pat on the back for Rachel. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I, I wanted to bring that one up and, and give it oh, give you your uh, due. <laughs> the one time I was right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the, the other fun one um, when they're talking about Oi is actually that bit about, um, what is it? Is, is it a stableman? A groomsman, is, yeah. Groomsman, yeah. okay, like... A groomsman once told me that his, uh, you know, Billy Bumbler could add and subtract by moving rocks and, you know, uh, scratching on posts and stuff. <laughs> and he's like, and I don't know if, like, this is a thing that, like, maybe in the turn of the century everybody knew, but, like, he's like, oh, obviously a groomsman's always full of crap. He doesn't right. know. <laughs> I mean, like, I know, I've heard the fisherman one, obviously, never heard the grooms one, but that's, maybe I'm just not, like, bourgeoisie enough or patrician enough to. <laughs> so if, if you're a fancy equestrian person, then, like, maybe that's just something that everybody giggles about behind closed doors, is that, right. you know, those groomers, <laughs> you know, Oh, they the are oh, no. always making up stuff and i mean i guess they have to pick up poop so there you go um so, yeah. so they start to like have that discussion over dinner um i, I believe uh, that's when uh, they dive into the charlie and the choo-choo book if, if i'm not going too far ahead well they charlie and the choo-choo is sort of the last phase of the like note comparison that they do like, okay okay so yeah. you might have to help me with this because I almost dove into the the bit about the plane because well, as soon as they start walking again, I get stuff jumbled up. Well, at this point, like basically, this is the point I think where they see the bridge. Is that right? They're uh, well, they've hiked out of town like seven miles. Here. They're looking at their approach to the city. They're concerned that Jake will be attractive to both the pubes and the grays. And they're kind of having the dialogue uh, about right. to jump into where uh, Roland says, all right, like, well, Susanna first, like, realizes that this entire time Roland has kept them from discussing stuff together. Yes. And so, like, this is where she kind of compares them in her mind to JFK. And I apologize yes. for bouncing around. I should probably just look at the notes that it's you've fine. studiously written for me instead of, like, it's going okay. off the cuff. <laughs> but so so Susanna like is looking at Roland. They make that joke about the the um, languages and like him only remembering the curse word for one of the languages. And she kind of goes on this little thing where she's like, "You sly fox! Right. You, you've been doing this this whole time. Anytime we start to have a conversation uh -huh. about our, our individual experiences, 
you sort of like slip in and change the subject and get us onto a different track. And then uh-huh. like you start thinking about it from Roland's perspective and like Roland is the one that already knows everybody's stories because he was inside of their head in the drawings for each one of those. So he has yeah. like the full picture, mm-hmm. but he's the only one. And then like you get a little bit of internal dialogue from Roland that's like, oh wait, um, you know, maybe we'll we'll hold off on talking about that for now. And it's like uh, foreshadow the much, you know, like every bit. It's like how much more does Roland know yeah. that he's not telling these guys? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like it, it, Susanna's observations almost feel like King is acknowledging the changes to Roland's character from like ah. his original bounty hunter to the wandering knight. Like she is the the bridge, right? Um, yeah. You know, she also recognizes. I also like up until this point, we've kind of always thought of Roland as sort of this like this being of like pure willpower like how he pushed himself on that well even in the early early books they kind of describe roland as like not the bookworm one like he had bookworms he thinks of himself as not being very clever yeah exactly which is interesting that we're getting this transition and i wonder if like this is stephen king's like not so subtle hand kind of like pushing us in a new direction because he's changed his mind about Roland or if Roland is changing as a result of like outside. No, I just figured he'd King had written himself into a corner and been like, this character lacks any interest now (laughs) and I need to give him some depth. That's probably true, but I I mean, but we're just going to go with it and, (laughs) and, and, and assume that this is something new that we're learning about Roland, that he's not just this like blunt force of will that he's actually very capable of more subtle forms of manipulation like you know even if in the case of you know jake where he was like trying to protect him and give him time to acclimate to you being in midworld like you know he's he's subtly hurting them and it doesn't hurt that it's also in keeping with the direction that he wants to go uh yeah i mean i definitely feel like there is a character reset that is happening well, in these sections and has been slowly building over the course of this even in the earlier books and like it would be nice to uh, well it would be nice i don't want to do it but the, to create a spreadsheet that actually shows all the times that like stephen king in the early books have has basically said roland is a blunt instrument of force and will and yeah. then contrast that to, yeah. uh, to the change that happens pretty much right here where suddenly he's a learned yeah. deep soul who yeah. has secretly been playing all sides of the coins. Uh, it, it is sort of, sort of strange and out of character, yeah. I would say per- personally from, but at the yeah. same time, like, yeah, I mean, this is the version of Roland. I know yeah. this is the one I remember, but, but it is interesting going back and like really taking such a close look at it. You realize that there is a moment where King is like, Oh, like he maybe is just now fully forming his idea of what a gunslinger is and like what the mythology is. And so he has to kind of start nudging us not so subtly in a new direction that is in keeping with that, with that character type. Yeah. Still, still waters run deep or something like that. I guess the, Oh, the other thing we skip by really quickly and I I don't want to go too deep into it is um, when Jake has a dream about Blaine, the mono. Oh yeah, that's right. Yes, and he hears the train coming, and Oi runs out onto the tracks and, like, won't come back, and the train is, like, this big, scary, pink bullet, which is very (laughs) phallic, um, is coming towards them, and he, like, has to jump and grab Oi and jump out of the way. And, like, you know, there's some very obvious symbolism here. I wonder if there's more to it, because 
that we'll find as we get further in and like actually maybe come across Blaine when we get into the city, whatever the case may be. Like, I wonder if there's going to be the same kind of situation where the dreams seem very, like have a very clear sort of meaning. And at this reading that take on new meanings when we get there, uh, get later into the story and get greater context. Um, but I definitely do feel like this dream is very ominous, and considering how prophetic dreams have been in the series up until this point, it does make me a Well, and in specifically in this point, because um, right after this, uh, uh, Roland shares with them the whole theory of the Cotet, and, like, they go back through sections of earlier events with, like, Shardik the Bear, where, uh, you know, uh, Roland warns Eddie, but really, um, now the reveal is that uh, Roland's mouth never moved, and that he was psychically beaming his his conversation to Eddie and same thing with Susanna. Um, one of the traumatic events, like he used his mind to talk to Susanna and he even like threw his mind through the portal to where Jake is to tell him to like grab the other board. And, and so all of these mm -hmm. are the shining, you know, uh, over and over again. And yeah. then the dream on top of that is like, Basically, going back to Jake's um, psychic premonitions, I would I would say, um, yeah. And uh, you know, I don't think mm -hmm. we, either one of us have any argument with that that synopsis. Yeah. So we learn about Kef, which is basically like closed circuit shining. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> you just shine amongst yourselves. Yeah, and then like yeah. Roland reveals that he can shine a little bit with him, but his shine isn't as glossy as the other shines because uh, their cotet is stronger, possibly from them being from a different realm or uh, universe or... What do you think about that? Do you think that that's true? I... Do you think... Well, okay, so here's the deal. If you want to go with the uh, ambivalent Roland, who uh -huh. is, like, playing the long game and has, like, a bunch of different, you know, uh, game paths going forward, then I would say that he's he's lying to them so that he can continue to play his part in whatever uh, nefarious, I mean, maybe not nefarious, but, like, in his, like, oh, yeah, well, I just realized that's how that works sort of way, uh, so that the uh -huh. characters can continue to develop their stronger relationship. But then if you don't go with the ambivalent Roland, then it's, like, yeah, he feels, like, a little left out, and, like, his kids are doing yeah. better than he is in, you know, like, uh, he's he's raised, basically, fully formed gunslingers now. And as part of that graduation, they have gained a power that he is slowly uh, let deteriorate over time. So uh, it, to me, those are your two options. Like, if you go with the smart Roland, then he's just playing his cards close to the vest and doesn't want to spoil anything. Uh, and if you go with the less ambivalent Roland, then he has to be telling him the truth. And that's literally where he's at in his, his the, the, what, the the apprentice has become the master or something like that. Hmm. Okay. I have an alternate theory. I like both of your theories, but my alternate theory is that he is lying, but he's lying to himself. At the end of this section, we'll get into it. He has this confrontation with Eddie that makes me think that like maybe Roland is holding himself separate and impeding hmm. the connection. That's That could be true. Because like, you know what I mean? Cause he has been holding them at arm's length and like, he, he even talks about how he thinks of them as different and lesser than himself up until this point. And so I wonder if that is something that's sort of like a yeah. psychic block is my is my alternate I, I would, theory. I would buy into that. Um, okay, so yeah. now I think we're to the flashback itself, right? Oh, 
yes, much flashbacking so, is about to occur. If I remember correctly, it starts with uh, Eddie, mm-hmm. and Eddie like basically recaps Salazar's place and the like gun battle, and then at these points, um, they kind of touch on the names of the places that they were at. What was the name of the uh, um, the building that the gunfight took place in? It was the tower. The tower. Okay. So yeah. So you have the tower there. And then um, Eddie kind of like touches on some of his life and explains everything we already know. And then we run over to Jake. Jake has a little bit more interest to add to this. And in Jake's story, he uh, rereads the um, the little uh, nursery rhyme that was on the uh, uh, fence. The mm-hmm. see the turtle of enormous girth and on its shoulders rides the earth or something like that. It, it might. Mm-hmm. I, I think I might be paraphrasing that and not getting it quite You're right. You're close. You're close. Um, and then, like, uh, he he goes into where he walks into that area where the delicatessen used to be and finds the rose in the middle of the field. And at first, he kind of, like, fails at explaining it. And Roland sort of coaxes him. And he, uh, he Jake actually asks him to, to hypnotize him. And Roland's like, no, no. This is the most important thing that's ever happened to you <laughs> no in your entire kid. life. Obviously, <laughs> you remember it. You need to tell the story. And then, you know, the description goes on to the, the orb that was brighter than the sun and the, the singing and all that business that goes along with it. And Jake at that time, or excuse me, Roland at that time, sort of like links that to the blade of grass that was purple. And then... Yeah. The, Am I wrong in saying that Susanna didn't really have a full-on backstory regurgitation? Not really. They touched on the brick, but that was more in association with the Charlie the Choo Choo. And it it felt like even, really, Jake's backstory and history was the most important one, and that even Eddie's was sort of, like, cursory to it. Yeah. Which was fine with me. I did not need a full, in-depth recap. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're right. It definitely was focused. And so then, on the as stuff. Jake's like telling his backstory, they're able to like basically link all these little bits and pieces from each of their stories together. And this culminates in sort of a um, a Charlie the Choo Choo moment, which is like Jake explaining his essay um, on that is the truth uh, from way back, and then mm-hmm. linking that to the bookstore where he bought the uh, the Charlie the Choo Choo book. They talk about Shardick and Jake recognizes the name of it being by the author of Watership Down. Watership Did you not Down. ever read that book and traumatize yourself as a child? No, no. You never saw the cartoon? There's a cartoon? Oh my god, it's like so traumatic. What? You oh. never watched that as a kid? Ugh. It's like one of those things where your parents are like, it's animated, enjoy! And then you're like traumatized from it. But... Getting back to the subject at hand, so um, uh, Jake explains the the uh, bookstore business, and then we have the Charlie the Choo Choo moment where Jake is like, and then Charlie the Choo Choo! And then everybody there kind of stops and is like, well, I always hated Charlie the Choo Choo. And then, you know, Susanna's like, I always thought those kids looked like they were they were screaming, not happy when they're riding mm-hmm. on that sick train. And, and then she explains this kind of cute but twisted story where she got the book and was afraid that Charlie was driving the train that they were on and was yeah. going to take him to her, his home where they could never come back again. 
and, and then like was happy to find out that it wasn't a steam engine but instead a diesel train yeah and then as soon as she gets beamed with a brick she loses the book and never to be seen again and then we find out eddie has a similar story of the book being sinister and then disappearing after hardships uh, uh arise and then uh, of course jake and his fear of charlie the choo-choo now I spent through that a little bit because I want to get to one aspect of that. Sure. Note when Jake loses the book and then note the ages that the um, Eddie and and Susanna harken back to when they lost the book. Hmm. So I don't know yeah, if that... How old were they? Well, they were all younger. I mean, I think they're similar. Yeah, I think they were kids. I mean, Jake might be a little bit older, but not much. Yeah, and... Because we forget that Jake's actually, like, 10. Yeah, exactly. And so what I was w- wondering, and this is where I- I'm going with this weird um uh, aside is is charlie the choo-choo fear and then losing of the book uh, almost a coming of age crossover hmm in interesting because it seems like it like it coincides with like water a wa- yeah exactly yes in their yep. life that's so interesting. like i think that there is something because jake that. loses the book when he basically crosses through the the portal right and then, like, right. what breaks Susanna in Detta Walker is the brick to the head, and that's when she loses it. And, you know, what makes uh, um, Eddie into, like, a drug addict and so on, and that's when he loses it. And it's like, those seem so lock and step with each other that I, I thought it was significant. Yeah. I just, I brainstormed on it for a little while, and I could not come up with a really good well, I mean... conspiracy theory that would... would uh, some of it's chronological, right? Because we're assuming that the book is actually the same book. That it's a book that's passed between them. Like the actual literal, not just like a copy of the book, but the same copy. But the actual book? Yeah. So to mm. some degree, I think it's chronological. But I also think that like for in the way that Eddie specifically says, like, I bet I can guess when you lost that book, is that it has to do with like when you get lose the book or in the case of Jake, get the book, like it has to do with like very like turning points moments where like your life is touched by the influence of Ka, right? Mm. So yeah, I do think that that is significant. Um, yeah. The watershed moment oh, sounds good. I, I like that. It's just, yeah, I, I was trying to think of things I could hang, hang off of that. And I, no, was... no, I think you, I think you nailed it. I think it is these important moments in their lives. Okay. Yeah, no, I think you're totally right. What I, I a lot of this section is like we talked about is like very much rehashy, hashy, hash, hash. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but one thing I thought that was really interesting in this section in particular was uh, around the book was this idea that like, and Roland tells them, you know, like there's, there's, you guys have probably your lives have been touching in ways that you never knew before, and the way that Roland talks about it. So we we understand that, but then he also talks about how like the reason that you'll have like cultural crossover between the two worlds, like things like um the that book, the Watership uh, Shardik, the name of Shardik coming from that that like Richard Adams books crosses it between worlds is because that they're sort of like bumping and influencing mm-hmm. each other and. The, in the same way that the Cotet's lives have been bumping in and into one another and influencing them in ways they never knew, it sort of underscores that it, that all these worlds are like totally interconnected. 
Like, even though they seem like one of them is this fantasy world and one of them is New York and different periods of time, they actually are, like, interconnected and, like, sharing the same sort of reality that makes the stakes of whatever is happening in Midworld just as important throughout the rest of the multiverse. Now, that is... Everybody shares stakes. That is the best transition to the thing that I brought up before we started (laughs) the show. um, Oh, all right! Which I have been patiently holding on to until we got to just the right time. So, Rachel, uh, at the beginning of the show, before we started the show, I asked you specifically to add a word to your notes so that we could talk about it. And what was that word? Yes. That word is talismanic. Talismanic. And where were they using the word talismanic to describe a place in these uh, crossover dreams? This was another super cool reveal, I will say, of this section. And that is that the parking lot where Jake found the rose... The drawers where uh, Susanna would go to break her for special plates and the um, empty lot that Roland saw in his vision in the place of bones were all the same place. A place that he described as being talismanic. Yeah, and talismanic, uh, again, I'm throwing it back to you. Uh, Please inform our listeners where that may also cross over into the Stephen King wider multiverse. Well, I do think it's a very interesting choice of word, right? Because, like, what we're talking about in this point is, like, the ways in which all of these worlds intersect and also have, like, mm-hmm. duplicates is something that is a central theme and plot point to exactly. the Exactly. And I felt like, mm-hmm. at this point, I, I, I didn't take the time, and it's my bad, to find out when this book came out and when the talisman uh, came out, but cross-referencing those would be an interesting uh, aside to see if if this is post-Talisman, and Stephen King has the Talisman like floating around in the back of his mind, and it now has leaked its way onto the pages of, of uh, the Dark Tower series. In a way that you might describe kind of like two worlds bumping up against exactly. each other. Exactly! Thank you okay. for finishing my beautiful train of thought. <laughs> okay, so the Talisman came out November 8th, 1984. It is 19... Oh, 1991. Okay, so the Talisman does actually... Um, predate this predate book. Predate this. Right. So, like, this could be a very intentional, like, multi... Like, Stephen King universe multiverse nod, to use that word. That's... That, yeah. that word was so specific. Like, in, yeah. if... If you were not to have the context of the other book in mind, it would be like, why did you choose talismanic? It's, kind it's of not like even a, a normal wooey, but yeah, no, it's it's an interesting use of that word. I think I think you're right. I do think it's like a very subtle <laughs> look at these connections. Um, I, yeah, the other thing, the, the other thing that I loved about this section, um, coming back to this like shared copy of the Charlie mm-hmm. and the Choo Choo, was this idea that the journey that these people are all on together did not actually start when Roland pulled them through the door, that they've literally been on this path of Kaw always. Mm-hmm. And it's proved by the way that this Charlie, the choo-choo book has like been weaved throughout their lives and like put in their path throughout their lives so that they have this shared yeah. connection. And this, it's almost like Kaw is like throwing up this huge, like flashing red flag, like, warning warning you need this is important but this is super freaking dangerous because like they all have the same experience of being afraid of this mm-hmm. like on site the the other th- mm-hmm. other thing i want to uh mm-hmm. drop in here before we continue on is um 
when you were talking about the circles interconnecting, Roland explains yes. a really interesting thing about Ka and that there could be groups, uh, uh, like the whole, he, I think he described it as like a painting. So like it's a whole painting, but yeah. each little circle, and it kind of reminded me of, have you ever seen those paintings where like if you're across the room, it's a really interesting design, but as you get closer and closer and closer, it's maybe a picture of a kid or a kitten or like a dot or something like that, that at, at close range, it has its own context. And then at full range, it has a completely different context. Are you talking about like pointillism? Not, not just pointillism, but like you, you maybe you've seen where it's a, uh, I don't know, a, a cool picture of the United States, but as you zoom in on each portion of like the graphics that are making that up, oh, it's an actual uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. full on picture of somebody doing something that just happens to have like a little bit of right. brown and red in it or something like that yeah i totally know what you mean yeah and exactly so the, his description of the painting like i i immediately went to that in my mind where uh, you know each of the little circles of ka that are doing their own thing end up painting this wide brush that ends up being a grand scheme mm-hmm. and that rolls back to roland's reference to the uh the little little goods uh, will make you lose sight of the bigger good because it's the same, like... Right, he's talking about yep, the exactly. quilt, not yeah, the and, little and cash. Yeah, and so when he's yeah. describing Ka, it's like a, a harken back to that description of the mini versus the whole. And I don't know, maybe I, I spent too much time thinking about that particular bit, but I just uh, thought it was cool. No, 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 I mean, I do... I. I had kind of breezed past that and I'm actually glad you brought us back to that because like it is, the thing is, is it speaks to like the way that call works mirrors the way that Stephen King's uh, universe. Yeah. Works. You're, I think you're right. You know what I mean? Like it's all these little individual books that when you pull back is a larger story. And, and there is a significant portion of them that deal with the same sort of big, like the repeating, um, uh, like uh, man in black showing up the crimson king being a central figure in a handful of books like they all are part of a larger story that um that's interesting like especially if you want to like go meta with it and think of his books mm-hmm. as each individual little copy you're picking picking up what i'm putting down yeah okay very cool we're, i think I we're actually closer to being on the same page this podcast than we have been on what? i know like usually we're coming at it from different <laughs> angles but i've actually been able to like toss you three quarters of my idea and then you just finish it up without issue <laughs> we're mind melding that's the thing is, is it's it's finally happened it's taking a little while but we're like, our brains are slowly uh... merging <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god okay okay so so they get done with this uh, <laughs> um fire pit brainstorming session or whatever so the other other thing i wanted to zoom in on before i forget about it because i have a little squirrel brain <laughs> is that um, Roland is actually discussing the portion of time where he occupied Jack Mort's body. Oh, yeah. And Eddie, and this is sort of in that same vein of us suddenly getting the reveal that Roland's deeper than he is. Uh-huh. And, and Roland basically says that they had cotets in his, in their universe as well. You, you guys just didn't recognize it. And vice versa, Roland said that... It, while they recognized things and remnants of their universe in his universe, he recognized things and references in their universe that are in his universe. And he also explains that the doors 
you don't think these are the first doors that have ever right. come open and the drawing has been happening for years and many people have bounced back and forth apparently mm-hmm. between, between these universes. So the key point that Roland makes is that the police officers are basically gunslingers. And Eddie kind of makes this backhanded comment that the the cops were pretty slow and fat and useless. And Roland says, yeah, some of them are, but not all of them. There was definitely one that remembers the face of his father. And if it weren't for the little bit of metal in Mort's pocket, he would have ended us right there. And and I thought that was like a a uh, sort of not touching, but a a seminal moment because it's saying that eventually uh, Eddie's world or Jake's world or, or Suzanne's world, whoever you want to their world to combine will eventually fall into the same disrepair as Roland's world. Mm. And, and the reason I was, I'm thinking that way is because if, if you think about how they had just kind of beaten us over, or Stephen King had just beaten us over the head with R- Roland's tribe and their place in society and the gunslingers as a whole and what they mean as these sort of law and order slash keeper of knowledge and peace and so on, it, it, it almost feels like, they were the remnants of the police force from the mm-hmm. other time. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, yeah, I think that there is a kinship between law enforcement and what they do. Like, it doesn't fully, law enforcement doesn't fully encompass what, what a gunslinger is, because obviously we've learned that it's way more to it than we thought. But, that, like, maybe he could see the potential of a gunslinger in, in Well, the in way I would like to think of it more is, uh, imagine um, a game of telephone where you you have an idea of a thing and you, you say it over and over and over again. And eventually, yeah. the core of that thing that you're bringing around is still there, like a camaraderie and a group and a thing. But right. over time, it evolves into its own new separate thing that was only loosely based on the right. original. And with the gunslingers, imagine if you took, if you still had like armed militia or something like that in a, in a town, and suddenly you start taking technology away from them. Well, now more power starts to seep into the hands of the gunslingers and more importance becomes uh, their right. role in society and, and to the point where just like with the church, right. when the church started, it was just like people gathering together. But more power continues to migrate to them until at some point they become the most powerful portion of society because – when you don't have any technology or any infrastructure, the people that keep the peace are the people. Interesting. So are you, are you saying that not that, not that cops are what gunslingers became, but what gunslingers. Yes. Yes. Are what cops became. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. I never even occurred to me to go in that direction, but you're totally, that's interesting. Yeah, that's and really I don't know if I'm like, oh, as usual, sometimes I overthink things. So no, no, no. I like this idea of like what happens to modern law enforcement when there's like total decay of society yep. and then like superstition works mm-hmm. its way in and then like it be, can they become it like uh, there is like a you start getting ritual of like, like religious leaders yep, and yeah, yep, yeah, exactly. yeah, I like it. I like and, it. I had that had not occurred to me, but I am well, into it, it. it. So it plays itself out in like the rite of passage uh, with court and so right. on is because like that's almost like uh, almost like the shooting range or 
the you know passing your uh your uh, ride along test or something like that that a um, normal police officer right. would have to go through and I, I just there were so many right. parallels in a way that I, I felt like it was an evolution uh, of a doctrine as opposed to a, a de-evolution that is interesting yeah because like I kind of was thinking of it the other way because like there's the idea of like these cops have forgotten the face of their father but like I it not it had not occurred to me yeah that's really okay I'm into it all right and that's the only reason I wanted to focus in on that so now um we can we can drop all that uh, off to the the wayside (laughs) see what I did there oh man there you go Um, and then move on so uh now they're kind of like they're done with their camping they're heading towards the city and there's this weird moment where they all like look at the bridge and then I don't know that I understood this and maybe you can shine some light on it for me, Rachel, but, uh, everybody kind of looks like Roland, uh, mentions the bridge and then Eddie mentions like a very specific George Washington bridge and Susanna kind of gets that too. And then, uh, Jake says something about Kansas or Missouri. I mean, I think that that has something to do with the setting of, of charlie the choo-choo the book is yeah is in because it's like that kansas city oh, okay. line, right and so i, think I was a little confused drawing, like assuming that wherever they yeah. are is the like parallel to missouri so they look at the bridge they kind of have a discussion um there's a little bit of fear about what's ahead of them and then roland right. and eddie kind of have this weird um interesting moment where uh, uh eddie says you don't have to drag me around by my ears and Roland like uh, kind of gets a little internal pissy about it. He's like, you know, I choose to come with you. And Roland's like, of course you do. You'd be a shitty farmer if you didn't. And he's saying this internally. And then like Roland has yeah. a battle with himself where he's like, wait a minute, to denigrate this guy for saying that is uh, the coward's way of you know of uh, dealing with it. I should take what he's saying seriously. And, and Eddie basically explains to him that like. If you die tomorrow, Roland, we want to go see the tower. Like, our goal is your goal now. We are all on the same page. You're not leading us. We are a team. And Roland has to step back for a moment and kind of um, temper himself and accept the fact that this this is what's going on. And I see you got two little asterisks there. So uh, what else do you want to talk about with that section? I mean, I think we're conflating a couple of different scenes. Like, there's a scene early on where they see the bridge. Yeah. And they, like, have that conversation. The The conversation that you're talking about actually happens after they've had the conversation about Charlie Choo Choo. And he's, like, one by one asks them, like, hey, do you think we should go around? What do you want to do? Like, but, like, all the while knowing that he's, like, gently sort of pushing them to the decision that they're going to go, obviously, to the train. And um, and they all agree to it. One by one, they all agree to it. And they all recognize that, like, you can't really avoid Caw. Like, you have to basically, if this is what they're fated to do, that this is what they're going mm-hmm. to do. Roland, after this meeting, everybody's kind of, like, calming down for the night. He sort of steps away and he's off and he's looking at the bridge by himself. Oh, I'm sorry. That's and, where I got the bridge bit confused. Yeah, it's a little confusing. It is a little confusing. And, like, it's totally fine. Um, And Eddie sort of manages to sneak up onto on him and kind of confronts him like this is the first time in a while i feel like we've had like a really solid point of view section from roland where we're kind of Mm -hmm. in his head and in his head you know we learn that he was intentionally 
manipulating them to get the end result because he knew that if he pushed Eddie too hard that Eddie would like dig in and be stubborn regardless of whether or not he mm-hmm. actually agreed. Um and like it's funny because it's like the hubris of this gets like knocked out really quickly because Eddie manages to actually sneak up on Roland. Well, you know, which shows like how that he's fu- becoming like an actual gunslinger like yes. Yes, and he like, uh, Roland's about ready to draw on him, and it's like, if you do that again, next time you could get shot in the belly. Exactly, and like you, you see that, like in addition, he like basically vocalizes what we've known for a little while is that Eddie has like fully caught the Tower of Fever, and he has every intention on pursuing the Tower regardless of what happens. Um, but and we see that he is evolving as a gunslinger, both like. And mentally with this like getting the the tower crazies mm-hmm. but also like in really concrete ways in terms of like becoming like taking on the techniques of being quiet and stuff like that um but what's interesting about this scene is like up until this point i think we've all kind of thought of roland as being like extremely perceptive like whether or not you thought he was a blunt tool or not like he's always been able to like really read people and i think it says a lot um about the walls that roland has been building up around himself that he was not able to intuit or even accept when Eddie tells him, you know, about his desire to reach the tower and his dedication to the quest. Like, even when he says it out loud, Roland is still, like, like refusing to hear it. And it, it just shows you that as clever as Roland is, he's not infallible. Like, there are definitely some, like, personality issues, some, like, past trauma from from the years of seeking the tower that um, are preventing him from seeing what is like clearly in front of his eyes which is why it's good that you're kind of hearkening back to that previous scene about the bridge where roland is kind of giving eddie shit for eddie like looking at the bridge and being hopeful about like well maybe we'll find some help there maybe we'll find some way to get across you know to travel a long distance and and roland is just kind of like you know you're being naive essentially like you know don't don't tell yourself what you want to believe you know, instead of recognizing what's in front of your eyes, like Roland, this is a scene that mirrors that where we find out that Roland is just as guilty of that kind of behavior himself. But in his his case, it's like much more fatalistic and it's preventing him from like seeing his content properly and connecting with them properly. And it go again, goes back to my theory that like he thinks he doesn't have like the same level mm-hmm. of depth with them, but it could be that like it's his own internal psychic blockage. Yeah, um, that makes sense. I actually yeah. I like your your theory there that this is another representation of him like holding himself back right i think he's just so accustomed to being the only person that has this level of dedication to his quest and he's so accustomed at this point to being alone that it's hard for him to believe that he's not alone anymore like literally and spiritually Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and we see we see he like if he perpetuates it immediately by holding back the information about char Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the ch- Charming's death. Yeah. Not exactly a good sign of what's to come. <laughs> yeah. And then I almost actually spoiled some stuff, so sorry about that, guys. Uh, I was about to jump into some things that are apparently past this section. Yeah, no, that's it ends just with the ch- with the Char's death thing. I don't even know what comes next. It's been so many years. I, I It's like I'm reading a lot of this for the first time. So. Oh, well, I got, um, got kind of excited and went on. And then coming back to it, I um, uh, I, I get a little mixed up because some of the stuff, like the bridge, I, I had like key points I really wanted to talk about, but then oh no, 
Yeah, but then I, I'm like... That explains the bridge mix. Yeah, and then yeah. I was like, whoa, 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 uh, pull in the reins here, DJ. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Roland's a mess, man. Like, in some ways, he's so strong and, like, so resilient and so clever. But then you see, in some ways, he truly is his mm-hmm. own worst enemy. So how do you how do you feel yeah. about this uh, this section, Rachel? Uh, you know, like this is my kind of chapter typically, and for the most part, it was you know it was kind of just okay for me, only because, like I said at the beginning of the show, this is a problem of my own creation by being so like granular in the way that I'm approaching this, like fine tooth combing the shit out of this chapter. That like a lot of these reveals did not feel like reveals. It felt like rehashing. Um, so I don't think it's a fair. It's fair for me to not to have like a negative criticism of the section. I think it's an essential section for people who are more reading it on like a more casual basis. Um, and there were a handful of really interesting reveals and character moments, like mm-hmm. the stuff with Eddie and Jake, and the stuff with you know the book being passed through all of their lives is really interesting. And like the stuff about Roland is like very illuminating. And in some ways, the first time that even though we know that Roland has flaws like this is the first time that he feels flawed if that's a weird I know that sounds weird but um so yeah I'm I liked it it was not my favorite section I found some interesting things in it and it's making me but it is making me very excited for what's next I'm glad we're like closing closing the chapter we're moving forward we're putting all of this get to know you behind yeah, there's us, some we're moving cool into stuff the in um for me I think because it was such a flashbacky thing, I ended up digging into stuff that mm-hmm. I would normally just to br- breezed by. So this chapter was better than I led led you to believe at the beginning because <gasps> that's great. Uh, because I was so um, I, I wasn't bored, but I I was so like yeah yeah I already know that yeah yeah I already know that that I was nitpicking and digging into stuff like the oh. evolution of the gunslinger and some of the other weird bits that I made you focus deep in on uh yeah i like i wouldn't have normally probably spent the time to really digest those sections if i hadn't uh been somewhat uh under occupied with the actual main course of the story so bring on the boring chapters i love it (laughs) i love it like it gives us a little window into dj's head this is exciting stuff well have you ever like looked at something and you start instead of seeing the thing that you're looking at you start daydreaming about some little portion of it that's kind of all the time oh well yeah that's usually less for me but for this i was i was definitely daydreaming and then trying to imagine the evolution of a police force into a spiritual uh... <laughs> i like that theory though that's a good one oh, last uh like weird movie reference have you ever seen that ghost dog i know which one you're movie? talking about but i have um, not seen it it's like a samurai movie. yeah where he reads the like yeah. art of war from the samurai and then like suddenly like he's adopted that into himself as an urban guy who steals cars who like follows Damn, the art like of I the samurai that movie was playing in the back of my head when i was thinking about the evolution of the police as like the way instead of the way of the sword mm-hmm. it would be like the way of the gun yeah and then the way of the gun turns into like this whole cultish um training slash spiritual uh enlightening mm-hmm. thing that it was originally just like Oh yeah, this is my gun, and like then that becomes more of a, a talisman or a uh, talismanic, um, you might say. Talismanic, <laughs> yeah. There's the throwback. Uh, but yeah, so that's where it got me going. Is like I was thinking about the the evolution of the gun. So it, it really, uh, and I'm not even a gun person, 
It's just I could see over time as history fades from an object, the object mm-hmm. develops its own sort of mystique and perseverance in a way that is separate from what the right. object actually is. It becomes and like a sort sacred of... object, which is something yeah, exactly. they describe I... the guns as. Yeah. And every time like somebody from this time frame in Roland's world sees the guns, they have this reverie. And even mm-hmm. to the point of the type of gun, because there's been times where they're like, yeah, some people have some guns, but they're definitely not a gunslinger gun. You can tell, look at, you know, the craftsmanship and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And yeah, so like on. the town of River Crossing was like not having it with Jake's gun. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like to the point where that actually has made it into a, a very spiritual and, and special item. And we already yeah. have had a lot of like spiritual stuff in in the series and it'll continue oh, yeah. to pop up. And, and so it, it felt right to sort of hang that on there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, what, what do we got next? Well, we, for our plan for our next episode, I guess is basically, that's kind of what we got left. Um, not, <laughs> not a ton. There's no real connections to Stephen King universe. We haven't already covered. There is no movie adaptation news or series adaptation news. Sorry, folks. And there's no listener feedback this time. So I think we're just going to close out with our plan for next episode. Uh, We're going to be covering The Wastelands, Book 2, Lud, A Heap of Broken Images, Chapter 5, Bridge and City, Sections 1 through 10. Oh, you ready to dig into some good stuff? Oh, am I ever. I'm so excited. I felt like this was like a rebuilding chapter, you know, like... You're, per- you're getting everything all together and you're getting ready to go, like to just go mm-hmm. into it i feel like that's that is where we're heading we're into the like i think like the last third of the book right so there's, this a, there's be... a lot of action coming up if i remember oh right. yeah so yeah so that's what we'll be covering for the next episode nice. i'm excited are you excited i am excited uh, if hopefully if my memory serves me correctly like this is nonstop DJ stuff for the rest of the book. Hey, listen, I'm into it. I feel like we've gotten a ton of character growth. And so like a, that's going to add a lot of significance and importance as we head into the action. And, you know, I'll find some way to squeeze in some psychology. I just can't help myself. <laughs> it's like that section in Lethal Weapon where you're like, fine, enough. I understand that he's a sad guy. Let's get to the action now. Come on. <laughs> excellent okay so for those of you at home who do want to weigh in on uh maybe our theories our mini theories our conspiracy theories that we've cooked up this episode or thoughts on this new uh the new Roland 2.0 what are your what are your feelings on this subject uh you or anything else really you can email us at cast of caw at zombiegirls.com or you can hit us up on the cast of caw facebook group we are lurking around there and we would love to hear from you and if you're enjoying the show leave us a review <laughs> are any any housekeeping news i have a little bit before we wrap up anything I, for you i got i got nothing um okay but you you just made me think of sugar booger <laughs> Oh God! Somebody, I'm gonna start getting crazy emails to that email address. I know it, but you don't know which Sugar Booger account it is. Um, okay, so as far as housekeeping, um, we this is a pre-announcement announcement. We are talking about starting a Patreon. Now I know what you're thinking. How can you have a Patreon and not put out podcasts totally irregularly? Well, here's the thing. That's how a way that you will hold us accountable uh, for one thing. So uh, Patreon will guarantee that we put out more content just in general. But I would love to hear from the audience what kinds of things you would like to get as far if you were interested in a Patreon bonus like 
bonus content like what kinds of things do you guys want do you want longer un- like less edited episodes where you can hear all of our weird like off-topic banter you can hear us talk about infinity train which we have not talked about oh yet, man that's so I, good I, it's so good i'm so glad you like it that makes me so oh, i know what I, I got done um, well, yeah anyway continue <laughs> <laughs> okay so there's a little taste of what one of those episodes would be like so you might not want that i don't know it's up to you um do you want to hear us do reviews of stephen king movies do you want us to write poems about roland i don't know whatever it is the kind of content that you would be excited about i would love to get your guys's feedback um so definitely email me at castlecallsnumbergirls.com or you can put it in the facebook group or however you want to but i would just love to democratize this a little bit and get a taste of what what kind of content would be uh you know this sounds silly but uh i i really enjoyed when we first started the cast sitting down and making the intro song (laughs) it would be fun to um to make like some occasional uh rap songs where i'll put some beats together and you can rap over it oh my god can yeah (laughs) let me tell you uh I spent some fat rhyme. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> it's gonna be like, have you ever seen that video of the like vegans rapping about like not insulting people by using animal names? It's gonna be like that. <laughs> like before. Anyway, um, so yeah, let us know. All right. Where I guess that's it. Is there anywhere that they can find you on the internet if they want some more of that sweet DJ action? Um, I can tell you guys that this river has dried up. Uh, yeah. R- Rachel is pretty much the only person I podcast with these days, and uh, other than that, um, that's it. I uh, I teach. You're a movie maker, dude. Yeah, I make movies. Um, you can find me on IMDb and what have you. Um, I also am a teacher now, so you can. Sign up. Well, you can't personally, but uh, many people can sign up for my classes and attend. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you'd be an amazing teacher. I want to just like, what is that called where you like sit in the class? Oh, you want to be an observer or, or a... Uh... Yeah, there's a word for it though. Like audit. I want to audit your class. class. <laughs> I have a feeling I have no idea what you were talking about, but I'd have a good time not knowing. Okay, well, if you want some more of me, you can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast. The Stream Queens podcast. Um, what am I forgetting? Oh, I was recently. Um, this is sort of like, hey, so you're not if you're if you're not super into horror movies, you can. Uh, myself and Mars, who is my co-host on the Stream Queens, uh, recently guested on the Here's Johnny cast, and typically I go on there and have like very long-winded conversations about like art house horror with them. Like, if you want to hear a three-hour discussion of Midsummer, I got you. <laughs> Check it out. But we did something a little different that was super fun. We played a game of 20 questions. So one of the hosts had a list of movies. And then myself, Mars, and the other host, Larry, all had 20 questions to try to guess what the movie was. And it was really, really fun. Um, I drank a little too much. So it gets a little rowdy towards the end. So full disclosure, make some inappropriate jokes. (laughs) (laughs) But you should definitely check that out and that podcast in general. And yeah, there's also a lot of stuff coming down the pipe in terms of new exciting stuff that we're going to be rolling out with the Zombie Girls pretty soon, including a new spinoff podcast. So that is it for me. 
DJ, take us out. Thanks for listening to another exciting episode of the Cast of Ka, where we shine our way through all of the weird things that we think of as we read Stephen King's universe. <laughs> uh, we drift, we wander, and we meander through, but we love every minute of it. Thanks, Stephen King, for putting out such an amazingly, and dare I say sometimes disappointingly, interesting series that has grown on us for years and will continue to haunt us as we get older. Thank you and good night. Goodbye, everybody.